Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can find the show online at buildingthefutureshow.com or follow me on Twitter at Building Show. You can also find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. And welcome back to Building the Future. Today we have Ryan Scott. He's an entrepreneur, philanthropist, investor, CEO, and founder of CauseCast. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. So maybe we can start off with a bit of your biography and kind of where you grew up and what kind of childhood you had, if you were into, you know, sports or cars or music or... Well, thanks for asking, and, and thanks again for having me, Kevin. Uh, you know, I guess I grew up in... Uh, my childhood was in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, sort of near Philadelphia, a little town called uh, Catasauqua, uh, basically a suburb of, of a, a suburb called Allentown, which I'm sure everybody's uh, heard of. And... Um, you know, I think I had kind of a, a typical computer nerd uh, childhood. I, um, I was into, you know, puzzles and games and things. But then when video games uh, came out, I became um, you know, really involved uh, with those and I quickly um, started uh, designing them instead of uh, just uh, playing them. And this was back in, the, for, for those old enough to remember, it, the Atari 2600 days. Totally. Those are so awesome. I, yeah. <laughs> So I spent a lot of time uh, in school, uh, not you know studying, but instead designing games, uh, and it just really captured my imagination. Uh, but then you know I quickly learned, okay, designing the games, how do you actually get these things to be uh, playable? Uh, and, and what it turned out you needed to do uh, was learn computer programming. Sure. Uh, and so I started in, uh, game programming when I was in middle school. Um, this is a way to just to, to make really cool things, and, and I, I always really enjoyed when other people would play them and. And give me feedback, and then I could make it better. And this kind of just set up this this virtuous cycle that you know caused me to, to want to learn uh, more and more. So, did you sell any of these games, or you just kind of gave them to friends to play with? You know, I had friends uh, that we uh, played the games with, but then I started uh, publishing for computer magazines. Uh, there was one that was called I think it was called Commodore Gazette, uh, and because I, I had a Commodore sixty four, like, like millions of other people, uh, and I was publishing. Um, programs like how to do certain things uh, like how to do these you know, crazy split screen techniques or, or, or you know scrolling uh, maps um, and, and publishing these uh, you know in these different publications but then I actually started a publication myself uh, for programmers on uh, the Amiga uh, who were using a particular programming language called uh, uh, Amos and um, I, I created an extension to that uh, which called Turbo Plus, which allowed, you know, Amos is essentially a basic uh, language. Sure. And it's not typically fast. This was designed to be fast, and then I made an extension in machine language that allowed, um, you know, much easier ability to do things like, you know, massive scrolling maps and things that, that modern games had but were very difficult to achieve using a basic language. That's really cool that you were into it so early on doing that kind of stuff, right? And kind of just learning on your own. And I, I think that's the key to a lot of this stuff. Well, most of my, when I was early on in the thing, I was doing a lot of like self-taught kind of stuff too, right? So I think that's mm -hmm. kind of important. And I think a lot of people forget about that. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think it's important to, to be able to take the hours that it takes to, to do it. And, you know, they say um, that it takes about 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. Right? Sure. Uh, so when you're a kid, that's a heck of a lot easier to do. You know, you, you go to school, if they don't force you to pay attention, you could spend some of those hours, you know, you know working on whatever your, your craft is. And then, you know, my, my parents, you know, I think to the credit, they, they left me alone to, to, to learn like this um, on my own. Yeah, no, I, I think, think that's awesome. That well, I think you're also not scared to break anything. 
I know when I was learning, you know, how to program and kind of do design and whatnot, mm-hmm. my dad was in computers. So I basically, if I broke the computer or something was wrong, I just was like, dad, <laughs> come fix it. <laughs> so I got lucky, right, with that. So I totally get that. You're kind of that's fearless important. and you just try it, right? Well, and that's the thing we try to teach our kids. You know, now that I'm older and I have two children, um, you know, yeah, take things apart. I mean, yeah, you're going to make a mess. Um, but what, what's, the, what's the value in having a clean life anyway? Let's <laughs> You know, you, you just let's break some stuff and see how it works. Where did you go to post-secondary, or did you? I did. Uh, I went to um, a college called California University of Pennsylvania. Uh, it was a, a little – I guess I, I always wanted to be in California. So okay. So about as far west as I could go and still be in Pennsylvania uh, because, you know, going to a state school it was um, cheaper for my parents. Uh, and um, so I went to that school for about a year and a half. Um, it, it was a little bit uh, frustrating. I had, I had learned all the programming languages. I was so um, into it when I was younger. I had learned most everything that I, you know, most all the programming languages. And then I get to college, and I, I showed up a few days early and got the textbook on C++. And I, I well, there was kind of nothing to do, so I learned that. Uh, and then when school started, I was kind of bored by it. Really? Um, and after a while, I said, you know, the, the, I, this is not the best message for, for everyone, but... <laughs> I was not really planning. Uh, I really didn't want to have a job uh, doing that kind of stuff. I wanted to have a company. Sure. So what the heck am I? What, the, what am I doing here anyway? Uh, and so, I actually dropped out. Oh wow. Yeah. And so then I was, you know, trying to, um, you know, I was running uh, the newsletter and uh, publishing, you know, the extension to that language. And um, but, you know, that was I, I was not a very experienced uh, business person at that time. I and mean, I was only about you know eighteen or nineteen. Right. And I um, sort of make ends meet. That's when I was doing pizza delivery uh, and things like that. Um, and, um, you know, I have to say, pizza delivery is a great job uh, for a young person because it, it pays a heck of a lot better than, um, than a lot of these types of jobs. It's essentially minimum wage, but you get tips. Right. The thing that I liked about it was that your brain is completely free to do other things while you're doing pizza delivery. Uh, you know how you, you drive from place to place and you wonder how you got there sometimes? Well, that's really good thinking time. Uh, and so, you know, I spent a lot of time conceptualizing things and then you know, being able to kind of work them out and, um, you know, on the side. No, that, that's so actually it, it really interesting. kind of low, low brain power. You're right. Yeah. I, I do a lot of my, my thinking, like, when I'm driving to and from work or if I'm in the shower or sometimes I wake up oh, in the middle of the night <laughs> and, you know, you can't get back to sleep because you're just constantly thinking about something. So, yeah, I yeah. never thought about the pizza delivery guy angle from that. But, no, that's awesome. <laughs> I was really I was getting paid uh, to think. Uh, I, they weren't paying me for that part of it, but they were paying me to get from place to place. It just really freed up my mind. And you know, I think smart people, um, as you you know just mentioned, you, you can use it as an actual technique. Uh, you know, if you if you need to come up with an idea, get up from your desk and start walking around. Totally. So now people are people are just integrating this with their lives. Let's have walking meetings. They're they're so much more productive than than you know sitting in a at a board table together. Well, I think like even Steve Jobs did a lot of his meetings just walking around his neighborhood. I think I think yeah, I read that I, in his yep. book, if yep. I can remember correctly. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, like it, there's something to, to be said for it. Were you a pizza delivery guy still when you started uh, your internet email marketing company, Net Creations, or how did that kind of... <laughs> no, that's a good question. You know, the internet um, first became something that, um, you know, the, the general public could get on uh, and when this first happened where I was, I was at this point living in um, South Florida. 
one company started, oh my God, we can get on the internet. This is amazing. And of course, this was back when everything was just, you know, text. Sure. Uh, and you were dialing up, and it was, you know, it was it was wholly inadequate. But for the time, it was it was astonishing. And um, I, I um, w- approached that ISP. The only job they had available was customer service manager, uh, and so I came in. I took it, uh, and and um, started, uh, you know, working with clients, you know, getting them on the internet, things like that. But because I was a software developer, um, I, my my biggest contribution there was to take their billing system, which was written on a piece of paper. And every day there would be like 10 new people that would sign up. And then the next month it'd be like 11 or 12. It was growing out of control. Uh, and I you know, wrote some software to actually just automate that entire process. Wow. Uh, and um, so then I was like, God, I, I really want to just be writing software for the internet. Well, one day um, uh, a woman named Rosalind Resnick came to the ISP. You know, we started at this point, this was before uh, Mosaic, and I was you know, making text-based uh, web pages. Uh, that you know would do different functions, um, and then um, all of a sudden, you know, Mosaic browser comes out. And we have graphics on the internet, and this became very exciting for everybody. Totally, uh, I remember I, that. I, I was started designing web pages, uh, and then this um, this woman, Rosalind Resnick, came. She was writing about lawyers for the Miami Herald, and said, you know, I have these law clients, um, and I, they would like web pages, and I don't know how to make them. So here I am at the ISP. Maybe you guys know how to do this. Well, the ISP really was not interested in it. They were just growing their dial-up business. I said, well, I'll, I'll do it. Um, and so we did a few um, websites for lawyers. And, well, we did two of them. And then we won first and second place. And the best, you know, we started doing contests for these things, the best, you know, law firm websites. This was a really interesting space. Um, but So we started developing web pages. The company we created was called uh, Net Creations. We partnered on that. Okay. And she was, you know, a more experienced business person. Uh, and I was, you know, the tech guy. Right, and, right. Um, you know, it, it, it was great. Um, w- what we learned pretty quickly was that the hard part really wasn't making the website. It was actually promoting it. Um, sure. It was getting easier and easier to make web pages. Now it's, you know, it's, it's, there's nothing hard about it at all. But getting it, get, back then you had to get your site listed in all the search engines and directories out there. And at the time, you know, there was about 400 of them that were actually worth uh, promoting to. Sure. Um, and what we found, we'd spend time making the website. That was all, you know, pretty productive. But then we'd have to go and start promoting it and getting it listed everywhere. And it was just extremely time-consuming. So um, what I set out to do was automate that process. So you would take your information just one time, and it would get submitted to all the search engine directories automatically in the background. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because that was like pre-Google and everything. Yeah, Google was now. There was, you know, AltaVista. It was the... Yeah, like Lycos and Excite and yeah, Lycos. all those, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they've all kind of morphed or gone by the wayside since then. Um, but that, um, that process really put us in touch with, because um, it, it was a self-service model, this was one of the early software as a service um, applications. You'd come, you'd give us your information. You never had any software on your computer and we would just post it for you. And we charged a, a, something, you know, my partner taught me, that the pricing is, you know, really key, you know, I thought, hey, we could charge 35 bucks for this, I think. And she said, no, we're going to charge a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, uh, wow. I don't, she said, well, if you're in a small business, uh, you really need to sell um, fewer products uh, at a much higher price sure. to make a lot of money. Uh, and so we tried that and it was, it was fantastic. The first year we did about a half a million dollars. Oh, wow. That's incredible. It was incredible because uh, we were just running it from a spare bedroom in our house. That's hilarious. Uh, we had, we really had no overhead <laughs> at all. Sure. Uh, and that went really, really well. Um, 
But as people were using it, we asked them, because uh, we were using this for our own purposes, we said, hey, you know, you're a webmaster, would you like to sign up for these mailing lists? One's about chat servers, one's about you know, ad banner software, and things like that that we were actually creating at the time uh, as a company at, at, to say, hey, you know, get on our uh, newsletter. We're going to send you commercial messages. And at the time, you know, this is, again, this kind of a little bit controversial back then. People didn't like commercial messages. Sure. But we were transparent about it, and people were opting in. Concept that, uh, that the, the phrase sort of didn't exist at the time. You could opt out, but nobody, why would you opt in? But people did. And right. so we had a list of about 30,000 people, and uh, one day as we were, you know, we did a mailing to it to promote some of our own software, somebody replied uh, it, was a, it was a circulation director for Ziff Davis Publications, it was a computer magazine. And oh, they okay. said, uh, is your list you know, for rent? Can we mail to it? Said, oh, yeah, I think the people would love what you have to offer. We did a mailing, and they got a 51% response rate. And we thought, holy cow, <laughs> there's really something amazing here. Um, we only have 30,000 names. I think um, we need a lot more names right now. Sure. Uh, we've got a major business. So what we did was um, develop software that allowed us to manage the mailing list for publishers like this Davis. Oh, okay. So they would put onto their site, as you sign up for things like a free magazine or you're signing up for their website or whatever that happens to be, we inserted another form in there that said, hey, would you like to receive you know, commercial messages on, on these topics? You know, opt into this. And we're going to send you great stuff. It could be offers, it could be you know, whatever, whatever it is. But all very transparent that this was an advertisement. Help you know if you want to get off the list, you can get off the list. Um, and that uh, that went gangbusters. We were managing the list for a bunch of major publishers, and um, you know ultimately, and towards the end, we did about um, seventy million dollars a year in revenue. Oh wow! Um, it was tremendous. And ultimately, you know, we took that company public. Um, we never took any venture capital. It was just so uh, cash flow positive. Um, you know, we went public because our competitor went public and raised a bunch of money. And we thought maybe we have to, you know, defend this space. Sure. But there was no finance. There was no uh, other reason to do it. Uh, the market was hot. But um, you know, ultimately in 2001, you know, we were um, as we were about to sell the company to uh, uh, DoubleClick, an Italian company came on in at the last minute, just before it was about to close, and offered us a um, a cash uh, offer substantially better than what DoubleClick was offering with no contingencies whatsoever. Uh, and so we had a fiduciary responsibility to take it. So um, we did. Sure. I guess and it's kind of a I, no-brainer, right? One, you, you, I had to. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. As a public company, you got to do what's financially in the interest of the shareholders. We just happened to be the largest shareholders. Right. Um, so yeah, we, we took it. And that next day, um, I literally was, I did not have to stick around. Oh, wow with nothing holding me there. So, um, moved. Uh, like how many employees did you have by the time you, you guys sold it off? There were about 70 employees. Uh, so we were doing about a million dollars a year per employee, which is good. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kept taking over space in our, um, in our office building. It, it was, it was, a it was really a, a kind of a rocket ship. So what did you end up doing kind of once you sold off Net Creations? Did you get right into Coscast? Did you take some time off? I didn't. I, I was a little bit burned out. We were in um, New York City at the time. I had already bought a house in Los Angeles. I really wanted to be in California. That, sure. That's where I had always wanted to be. Uh, but uh, when we were in Florida and started the business, my partner said, you know, we're, we're in the direct marketing industry. Um, all of our competitors are in California where you want to go. And all of our clients are in New York City, where she wanted to go. Right. And I said, you have an awesome point there. Let's go to New York City. And 
you know, it was, it was great that we did. Proximity was really, really important. Sure. Uh, so we did that. But, you know, ultimately, while we were making money, I, I bought a house in, in California. And then when we sold it, I, I moved out to California full time. Okay. And yeah, you're in, uh, you're I, in San Francisco I, now, correct? But you moved to LA, right? Now. I did move to LA. And um, I, it was just kind of, it's, that's kind of the, the place that has a stereotypical California allure. Sure. Um, especially if you weren't going to jump into starting a new business right away. No, makes a lot of sense. And, yeah. I love LA and California, so I, I get the yeah. appeal for sure. Like I spent some a summer yeah. down in LA um, years ago, and yeah, it was it was probably the best summer of my life. So I, I totally get the appeal, and you know I love Northern California, but LA is I, I just love the weather and just going to like I I really like live music too. So and then just yeah. you know great music thing. Yeah, and like everybody's doing something or trying to do something, and I just like that vibe. So I, I totally get the appeal mm -hmm. of that. Sure. I'm curious then, did you, how long, you know, did you kind of, before you, you know, started Coscast or started coming up with the idea for Coscast? You know, it was a couple years of um, you know, doing projects, like things that I, I, I wanted to get out of my system, like uh, writing music. And uh, at one point, I wanted to have a, a, a nightclub. And so, okay. I, you know, I tried different things. and. Uh, you know, just um, built some home automation software as well. Um, but, um, you know, it's kind of finding them not that satisfying. I was looking to get involved with uh, running a, something major again. Uh, and so moved to uh, San Francisco, which was very stimulating, uh, and, and ultimately came up with the idea for podcast. The initial version having to do with, it was more of a social network that involved um, companies, yes, but um, especially media and celebrities. And that really had fit a heck of a lot better in Los Angeles. Sure. So spent a short time in San Francisco, but went back to Los Angeles and started podcast there. Um, oh, okay. You know, but, but since that time, uh, you know, we've pivoted to um, recognize a, a huge opportunity employee volunteering and giving, um, where you can you can really have like a, a bigger a big impact because you've kind of got this captive audience, uh, and you also have a business that, that has an incentive to, to get people to do this stuff get out in the community uh, and once we made that pivot it, it was pretty clear that uh, I needed to be back in San Francisco right uh, where there's lots more companies lots of investors uh, so we got much more of an ecosystem to that no that makes a lot of sense so I'm curious then you mentioned that some companies struggle a bit with attracting younger talent you know some maybe they're a little bit more old school or they're in industries that are you know polluting the planet and whatnot how is Coscast helping these companies, you know, attract younger people or just people in general? Well, you know, um, everybody who's graduating school right now, I, I say everybody, but, the, you know, the statistics will say something like 70, 80% of people that are graduating expect to work for a socially uh, responsible uh, company. Uh, they don't necessarily believe that, you know, they think about 36% of companies actually are socially responsible enough, but their expectation is that they're going to work for one of these companies. Sure. What we're finding is that uh, companies that are not really talking about what they're doing that's uh, good in the world don't have um, the kind of employer brand that these young folks uh, expect to work for. And so, you know, as we've seen, it's kind of notorious about millennials. Sometimes they'd rather stay at home than work for you know, a corporate bad guy. Uh, and if your parents allow that, but, you know, they'll do that. Sure. Um, and so the companies, you, you just you literally have no employee visibility if you're not doing uh, good work uh, at this point. Uh, and so um, companies are finding that their employees going out and volunteering uh, and giving, you know, often in ways that are related to the, you know, the, what the company does or what the company builds. 
um, is a great way for their employees to feel like, because what they're looking for really is, is not kind of work-life balance. I think that's a, um, a fallacy. What people are really looking for is purpose. Totally. Uh, I totally they will, agree. They will work, they'll work their asses off if you give them purpose. Uh, and that, well, and that's the typical thing for an entrepreneur. They have purpose uh, and they'll work, you know, 24 seven uh, to, to get whatever it is done. So this helps with employee volunteering and giving. It really helps um, turn, because you're using the corporate assets, you know, the time and the dollars, and it's like with the matching or giving any time off to volunteer. You're using corporate assets to do something good uh, in the world other than, you know, just focus on your product uh, or service. And it really gives people need that, that uh, extra thing. And it also really helps them bond with each other when they go out in the community and do this. They look at each other and say, like, look what we just did. This is awesome. Yeah, it's like really good team um, building. I've, I've done that in the past. It really is just like Habitat for Humanity. I worked at a company a few years ago that took a couple of days and we, you know, yeah, we helped build somebody's house and it was awesome. It was a great team building experience. Isn't it? You know, exactly. I, yeah, so it's, it's pretty cool. Seeing now, I, I have a friend who runs a, 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 a site. Uh, it's called Triple Pundit. Great site. Um, he, he was uh, telling me, you know, it's all about what companies are doing in terms of sustainability. Sure. He said about half of this traffic is people in the sustainability space. So the other half of the traffic is um, coming from EDU, uh, it's, it's students. Um, you know, some of them might be doing research for school, but what he suspects, and so do I, is that these folks are actually looking to see what companies are good to work for when they graduate. Oh, interesting. And if they don't see you, they don't see you, they won't even apply. Wow. And so what I'm seeing with companies that aren't, aren't really getting that, that they need to talk about this stuff, they're too shy to talk about it for some reason, is that they're having trouble just their, their, their pipeline of candidates is drying up. And, you know, of course it is. Everybody wants to work for Google because you're, you know, it's like you're saving the world, you know, using technology. You're doing all these, these amazing things, and that's where, you know, people want to go. But the, these other employer brands, have, um, they're, just, they're just not having visibility, uh, and they're not in the, the mind of the, the employees. So I, I talked to a, a small um, medical device company uh, out here, and they're, they make some some great products that save lives and that's really the message I, I feel that they should be um, sending but they're not they're talking about uh, if you are going to be employed like here's what you're going to make you're going to get to live in California well, but, but when you you know look at it and you break it apart you're like well you're not li- you're you know you're living like in Livermore right uh, you're not living in San Francisco um, and yeah you're you know you're going to get paid x dollars but that's not actually what the big thing is for the younger generation they'll take a pay cut or they'll work someplace based way more on culture than on uh, salary. Oh, and yeah. So I, like, look, you're doing amazing things. You are saving lives. You literally have saved millions of lives with these devices. That's your message. No, totally. That's compelling for people to come. And, you know, as a, you know, he's a, he's a really technical guy that's running it, and he's a little bit, I, I don't know, I think um, shy about kind of tooting his own horn. And I hear this a lot from companies, but if you don't, you can say things without looking like, you know, without tooting your own horn and looking like a bunch of egomaniacs. Uh, because you genuinely did those things. But furthermore, the, the beneficiaries will talk about it for you as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then so, your employees so, will try to recruit other people oh, and, oh, you yeah. know, other classmates and whatnot and say, come work with me at this awesome Absolutely. company because we're doing all these great exactly. things for planet and the environment or, or whatever it is. And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. We just really, with our uh, platform, we empower the company to be able to do that at the scale of the corporation. Uh, you know, if you, if you send 5,000 people out into the community to, to volunteer and donate, you've got at least 5,000 stories. Oh, uh, for sure. Employees, you, need, you need to capture that, you know, capture the photo and video or whatever it is. 
and then give the employees the ability to send it out, you know, just really under the corporate umbrella. You know, um, but the, you know that's advertising that the that the company would just not be able to pay for. But the employee will do it because they're proud of it. Well, yeah, and it's also like they can show their friends and they post it on you know their social media and you know yep. they feel like they're a part of the company instead of just another number. Right. Yeah. I think they make them feel like they're part of the world instead oh, for of sure. somebody that's sitting in a cube somewhere. They're definitely, yeah. You guys partner with a bunch of big brand names. And how do you, do they come to you? Do you guys reach out to them? A little bit of both. I know you've got, you guys have done some stuff with some celebrities as well. So how do you kind of, you know, how do they get on your platform, really? Mm. You know, a lot of it comes directly to us. Uh, and, and that's through uh, a lot of the, the publishing uh, and appearances that uh, I do. Okay. Um, so, you know, we write about the space quite a bit. I have a, we started the Huffington Post impact section and the education section uh, many years ago when we were doing cause marketing. And so I continue to publish there. Uh, I've got a column on Forbes uh, and I publish, you know, a, a great many other places. Uh, LinkedIn is, an, is a great place to, to post your article. Um, LinkedIn's been awesome for me every time I post articles. So would you say you use digital and kind of print media to write articles that drive traffic and, you know, companies into Coscast? Yeah, there is some print, uh, although definitely it's not a, a focus, but it's, it's great when things go, get into print uh, as well. But yeah, it's, it's content marketing. So we're talking about the space, right. um, you know, providing insights, showing that we know what we're talking about, providing, you know, there, there's actually, you know, got a lot of these external articles. We also have a lot of uh, kind of internal uh, documentation as well that we can give to folks, but you know, when they're ready, because it's very hard to force the corporation to, to do this stuff, you know, they, they typically want to do it, they, they switch, you know, during, uh, you know, at the year end, usually, right. unless it's a new program. So they have to be ready and, um, you know, it's coming at them too hard doesn't uh, really help. So it's really more of a pull uh, technique. And they come right to our site and, and fill out the form. Do you find it's the company or the employees kind of go to, you know, their managers or their supervisors and say, you know, we want to do this? Or is it a little bit of both? Uh, you know, um, when the new program managers come to us who, who haven't done this before, where we usually ask them, like, well, what is it that you're, you know, what, what kind of prompted this? And they'll say a couple things. One, uh, we're having a lot of trouble attracting new folks and we, We've just been reading a lot about how we have to do this. Oh, okay. Um, the other is like, yeah, my employees just keep coming to me, and uh, you know they're asking if we do it on donation matching. Can they have a day after volunteering? And the answer can't be anymore. I don't know. Right. Or worse, no. Uh, it has to be yes, and we're working on it, or we're getting there as fast as we can. I got you. They really expect it now. Yeah. So it's really kind of this is this. This idea is just out there, and um, everybody's just expecting to be able to do it, and really no matter the size of the company. And they expect it to really reflect, you know, their personality, too, and not this idea of this kind of, you know, billboard in a basement, uh, you know, where in, in the old days you used to have to fill out a paper pledge form. I'm going to donate these dollars. It's going to come out of my paycheck. You do that once a year, and the, the boss basically says, hey, everybody, this is our big campaign. Now it's got to be oh, no, we're doing this interesting thing next week. We've got this community, you know, this group over here that's interested in, um, you know, hackathons or you know, teaching teens or like whatever it happens to be. And being able to kind of set up their own groups. Again, under the corporate umbrella, but with not the corporation typically not kind of, you know, pushing it on people, but, but saying, 
hey guys, our, we're going to do a campaign this um, spring about you know, education. You know, take this campaign and and add things, add opportunities to it that appeal to you and your group and your peers. Uh, and so, you know, the developers again, they might do some sort of hackathon. Right. Designers might want to do something with designing, or designers might say, we don't want to do designing for this, these folks. We want to um, actually, uh, you know, help them with their business plan. So you can kind of use these opportunities not just as ways to use your skills to help folks, but to actually gain new skills. Right. Interesting. Uh, yeah. For the benefit of the organization and, and yourself as an employee. No, that's so then awesome. it becomes leaders. Then it becomes development uh, as well. How big are companies use Coscast? Is it kind of small to medium? Is it medium to large? Kind of all over? No, it's been it's been really interesting. I've always wanted to support small companies uh, doing this. I know big companies have uh, programs, and we've got uh, big companies on board. Um, but it was very important to be able to have a, a system where we were able to take small clients as well. Right. And the, the difficulty with small clients is: the, can you provide a great amount of support? Uh, you know, having to customize it for everybody, and can they, you know, kind of do it themselves and run with it? That right. that kind of that last mile of it being more self-service is, it's kind of the last ninety percent. <laughs> like it, it actually is hard to to make it like that. Um, but what we've done to to, to make it work for even the the tiniest companies is partner with an organization called the Full Circle Fund, and they have a a, a campaign going. Um, it's called the, the Founders Pledge, where you're saying, "Hey, I'm starting a company. I'm gonna, I'm pledging to give one percent of my uh, equity, which at the beginning is easy to do, one sure. percent of my employee time and one percent of our, uh, you know, profits, you know, through employee uh, giving uh, and volunteering." So they make this pledge, but you know, these are typically quite small companies. It's hard for us at Costcast to support a three-person company. Sure, it's just not cost-effective for anybody. Full Circle um, is running uh, Costcast and all of these smaller companies are participating together as a cohort. And then Full Circle finds the opportunities for them to participate, and they act as the admin of the system. Oh, And that okay. was great to bring on smaller companies. That's and actually really cool. And then when really they cool. you know, graduate out of it, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's an effective model. Uh, I, you know, all net new job growth is with startups. Bigger companies are not getting appreciably bigger. Uh, and so um, – while they're really important to support and they do you know, amazing things and they often have the resources to do things at a, in a massive scale, um, you can't walk down the street without bumping into a CEO of a, a startup. And you know, when I talk to these folks and tell them what I do, they say, wow, well, we really want to do that. Can, can we do that as a small company? You know, we, were, we thought we had to have an HR person to be able to do this. And, and I think an HR person is the point where you come to CauseCast and say, yeah, I want this for my company. You know, we, we can, we're, we're able to dedicate our, you know, some folks to it. Some resources, um, but the startups—they want to do it too. They, they understand that it's really key, and they have it. You know, these kids—I'm going to call them kids. These kids that start these companies—they <laughs> um, you know, have it built into them too. They, they are these—they are these millennials that we're talking about in, in the next generation. So it's not even a question for them. It's just how. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, and I, th I think more and more people are just—if you can give back, why not? And it makes you feel good too, right? Mm-hmm. It really does. I think people see it as an obligation, but I don't think that, I think that's the older, you know, that's why this idea of corporate social responsibility, like you've got to be responsible. You're doing it because you kind of have to. It's not really how the younger generation feels about it. And I think increasingly lots of people feel like, no, this is just, you see a solution, you have the ability to do something about it. What's your excuse? 
Yeah, exactly. Let's switch gears a little bit. I'm, I'm curious to know, you're obviously the CEO of CauseCast and you know, you've run a couple of companies and you've done some investing. So I'm curious what you would say makes you a different type of CEO. Mm, that's a good question. I think, you know, I have a, a pretty clear vision uh, and I think it's, um, and it's a compelling vision, I, I believe. And I, I think that the, the folks that I've brought on have really, uh, you know, bought into that vision. And, you know, once they have, and, and, I, and I've, you know, brought very talented people on, um, I, I really let them run with it. And I think if you keep that, you know, that unifying vision strong, then everybody knows what to do, even if you're not telling them what to do at any given moment. Right. And that's really important uh, because you're not going to be able to micromanage everybody. And in fact, that's just a horrible little life for everybody. Sure. So, you know, what happens when you're not in the room, uh, you know, do, do, do you, the rest of your employees, they know the vision and say, like, well, that's not something we do. Or, oh, this is something that we do. And really own that vision uh, themselves. And so I think... That's really my role is to make sure everybody knows, you know, the, the general direction we should be going and then, you know, let them do it uh, to, to the best of their ability. So how many employees does CosCast have now? It's about 20 people. Okay. And are they kind of all in California or are they spread out through America or where are they? You know, we have, um, we've got a person in New York. We've got about four people in San Francisco. And then uh, we've got um, the bulk of the team is still in Los Angeles. Okay. And they're in um, they're in Burbank. Okay. Which is a wonderful place because it's um it's closer uh, to our developers, and it's right by the Burbank Airport, which is, I I I think it's one of the best kept secrets in America. I think the people in Southern California know about it, but if you don't tell people, because it's a wonderful little airport. So uh, you basically fly into there operating. instead of LAX or. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so much. Uh, I, I've heard that before, actually. I've heard the Santa Monica airport's not bad either, but is that true? That's another good one. Yeah. It's oh. true, yeah. You shouldn't be telling all these secrets, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> You've invested in some huge names in tech and kind of green renewable energies. What do you kind of look for when you're kind of making an investment company? Is it person? Is it kind of a combination of the two? Yeah, I, I think they really need to have... Um, a world-changing idea or something that could potentially really have a, a big impact and can scale up. Um, and I, I think I've only made very few exceptions to, to that uh, rule based on people that I, I liked. But, you know, the, the, the right way to do it is, in my opinion, it's, again, it's got to have a world-changing idea. Um, it's got to be something that can scale. It has to have a business model behind it that's you know, really going to work. Uh, whereas, you know, I like to support nonprofits, but there's not, a, there's not often a, a business model uh, there. Sure. Um, uh, but then, you know, the entrepreneur's got to be really strong and be able to build uh, a team to, to scale it up. Um, and, and you obviously see this with, uh, you know, Elon and, and uh, Tesla. Uh, but there's, there's some exciting um, new companies, and I, I'd like to get involved with them uh, pretty early. But it's, now what I'm looking for is things that are very synergistic with a podcast in some way or that I can provide, you know, a ton of value if I'm going to get involved with it that I can, when I look at it, I go, okay, I, I'm going to invest some time or money into this, um, which is, you know, increasingly less. Sure. I don't have the time, but, but, um, can I, do I, do I have a lot of contacts for this company or is something that Coscast is doing, can it help that organization in some way? Right. So and do you, you kind of just invest usually your time and money or kind of one or the other, or it really depends on the situation? 
I, I don't, I won't put money into something anymore if I'm not going to put some time into it. Oh, okay. Um, it just, just it just sense. doesn't worked out for you in the past, or you just don't, you want to be more a part of it? Uh, I just have a, a really limited amount of time. I got you. Uh, so it, it's just, I, I don't need to do it for a, a financial uh, investment. Right. And I, I mean, I, I do that really through the launch fund, which is run by my brother-in-law, Jason Calacanis. And that's where I do kind of just oh, he, stuff where he's he's doing his due diligence and that. I didn't know he was your brother-in-law. I knew you guys have done a bunch of stuff together, but I didn't know he was your brother-in-law. That's uh, that's yeah. pretty cool. He, Another, I, he, he, <laughs> I've never met him, but I've I've seen him talk at a conference a few years ago, and he's he's had quite the career as well. I, so yeah, but, yeah. No, I mean, he's a he's a great investor and entrepreneur. Yeah. So. Is there any other companies that you kind of want to mention that, you know, obviously you've invested in Tesla and I'm sure anybody that looks you up online knows that. And I'm sure you've talked about that a million times, but is there any yeah. other companies that you, you know, you've invested in that you want to talk a little bit about or, you know, or are you? Yeah, kinda... yeah I appreciate you asking. There's, there's um, maybe one or two. There's, there's one called uh, Carry Club and it's, it's called what, sorry? Yeah, Carry Club. It's, um, it's spelled C-A-R-I. C L U C, uh, and what they do is uh, this idea called a junior board survey. So nonprofits have boards uh, of directors. Okay. And yep. it's to get on the board of a nonprofit. You know, usually it's, it's top people later in their career, and they've made a big financial commitment to the organization, and they get to be on the board. Uh, you know, being on a board of a, a nonprofit has so many um, development um, benefits for the individual. Uh, in terms of you know, getting to run a smaller organization, you know, uh, you know, kind of getting out of your comfort zone of, of what you typically do, focusing on a different area, you learn a, a lot by doing that. Um, and so, companies have recognized that being on a board is good um, is good employee uh, you know, skills development, and so they encourage folks to do it. But what does the early career uh, person do who doesn't who can't make a big financial commitment? Um, you know, what do they do to get onto boards? And so, Carry Club exists to help the organizations create their junior boards and teach them how to run them. That's pretty And then cool. go to uh, corporations and then help them, you know, with a platform be able to actually volunteer and make these organizations and pair them together. That, that's really and cool. I really love that. No, that's an yeah. awesome idea. I'll, I'll post well, the links in the uh, show notes and whatnot so people don't need okay. to write them down. No, that's, that's great. And I see synergy with Coscast, obviously. We're always looking for great opportunities for people to get involved. It has to be more than just you know, going out and painting a mural, which is kind of the lowest skilled. There's there's a joke in the nonprofit space that uh, organizations you know take volunteers and they have them paint. They they have one room dedicated to just letting volunteers paint it because they don't often have something for them to do or don't know how to leverage volunteers uh, appropriately. Well, board services that's very high. That's very highly skilled. Right. Volunteering. So that's one and. You know, I met a company over the past weekend uh, down in Los Angeles for a conference, uh, and it's it's related to what we do. It's, it doesn't. I think it has some interesting potential synergy, but it's a way of um, having videos become uh, monetizable through donation. And they're they're doing things like having gamers uh, do uh, you know compete with each other, and then as you're watching the stream, you can donate to the to whichever gamer. Oh, you want okay. And it goes to charity, and um, yeah, they did one where some celebrities were just hanging out uh, in the house, listening to music uh, or playing games, and then people could watch them, and then we're encouraging them to donate. And it turns out that this uh, works. Hmm. Uh, so um, 
it's, it's any of those leaderboards and things like that, and how people are raising money for, you know, you know they'll, they'd raise money for a particular uh, gamer, like in support of him. Sure. Uh, it's a really interesting um, model. I think we can bring these type of actions to our uh, uh, employees base for, in, in, inside Clogcast as a kind of a very simple thing that they can do. It's not always about donating your own $100 or your own you know, 10 hours. Um, but I also have a lot of connections in, uh, in entertainment and marketing, which I think this is consistent. And so I feel like I can help this organization. So that one's called Tiltify. Okay. Uh, and I think it's, um, it's just super interesting. And I, I'm really, you know, beyond that, trying to uh, keep my um, time focused on podcast. Right. But I find, just like, you know, with board service, me participating as an advisor in a bunch of these companies is great development uh, for me. This is kind of a good segue into kind of uh, my my final few questions for you. I know in previous interviews that I've listened to over the years, you've mentioned you've done yoga every day and kind of take time for yourself. Do you still do that every day? And how do you fit that into your busy life? <laughs> well, you know, moving to San Francisco was really helpful because there's um, I can walk to my office. Oh, okay. In Los Angeles, I had to drive, I had to drive half an hour. Right. Um, so I came to Los, uh, San Francisco, I started walking up and down these, these hills and taking a lot of my phone calls walking. And you'll hear it, in, you know, it's not in this interview, but when I'm talking to folks, I'm usually huffing and puffing up these hills. It, it's, it's, really, it's really great and, uh, you know, energizing and helps me eat, you know, the amazing food that's here without gaining too much weight. Yeah, San Francisco um, has amazing uh, food. Know, I love it there. It's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, it's special. Uh, but then... Um, you know, I, during a lot of our moves, I, I stopped working out as much, but I just uh, started again uh, a week or two ago. Uh, and I can walk down to that, too. So I, I really, I've had this, like, a much more integrated life here than I did in Los Angeles, where I can walk my kids to school, I can walk to my office, I can walk to the gym. Hmm, that's and actually really interesting. Right, that alone, yeah, and I, and I track it on my phone, right? So I got, I can see that I, I, I'm doing at least 10,000 steps a day. Right. I'm pretty much blowing past that. And that, that really is my license to eat whatever I want. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think that having a life where you can, where you can walk a lot is really, really important. That makes a lot of sense. Like I, even during the summer here when it's not snowing, I usually try to park a little bit block or two away. And I, I get it's uh -huh. not much, but it's nice just to kind of park and yeah. just walk into work, even if it takes a couple of minutes, and then walk back to the car at the end of the day of work and just clear your mind a little bit. So I, I totally get yeah. that. Um, my next question to you is obviously, like I mentioned before, you're, you're super busy and you know, you have like a family and you're married and how do you kind of balance all that? I'm a new dad. We have a, my wife and I have a nine month old daughter and you know, wow. between working, yeah, thank you. And you know, between, you know, working full time and doing the radio show and doing a couple other little things, I've been struggling to kind of find a, a balance, any kind of tips for me and any of our, our listeners out there, how you balance all that, you know? I need, it's, I mean, you have a nine-month-old, so it's, it's not like you can go jogging with your, your sure. son or your daughter. I'm sorry, I don't know. It's a daughter, yeah. It's, okay. Well, my wife, um, yeah, our son is uh, six. Our daughter is three. Uh, yesterday, my wife started this uh, running class. I, I can't remember what it's called, something like Zen running. And my son went along. Oh, so it's okay. um, great because children have ridiculous amounts of energy, and if you don't get it out, it kind of explodes inside the house at the end of the day. Right. And that's the thing that after a while you're like, oh, God, here comes nighttime again. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you really need to, because you come home and you don't have any energy left, but your, your children really do. 
Right. Uh, and I think it's about finding activities outside of them uh, that you can do uh, that are that are physical. Right. Being no. physical is really to your keeping your sanity. No, that makes. You just have to. Put, you just have to put it in there. You just have. You know, maybe it's something else. Co- you know, goes away. Media time or something. You think you need that time to to relax, but if you don't get that energy out of yourself or, or your kids, you're just your brain just keeps buzzing. No, it makes it. Can't sleep without exercise. Yeah, for sure. So, do you schedule that time like in your calendar, or you just kind of you know every night? Yeah, you, just you have know... to. You, you you really have to, otherwise it won't happen. Uh, other things just get in the way, uh, even just answering your email because it all feels so important. But right. It's often, it's often not. Um, yeah. Because I've been finding like I'll come from work and then I'll like I have an Android Wear watch and and I just take that off and I usually just put the phone away and I play with my daughter for a couple yeah. hours before she goes to bed and then I you know then I kind of get back on the computer and do my thing right one, usually once my wife goes yep. to bed but. But yeah, so I like I try to yeah, check out for a couple of hours after work just to hang out with them because you're right, you you get a couple email, then you get browsing the internet, and you know an hour goes by and your your kid's sitting next to you and you're kind of like, what am I doing, right? So, yeah, yeah, it's true. You got to just it's, that's actually what it is. It's about unplugging, uh, and um, you know otherwise you'll even get you could get testy with your children because of an email that annoyed you. For sure. Uh, how, uh, now what kind of parent are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I've noticed that a couple of times where something you're like, oh, and then, you know, you're, you're, my wife said something to me and I kind of like snap at her a little bit and you're like, oh, like uh, I just did that because of that email. That's terrible. So, yeah, I, I get yeah. that. So, just, just, just like put it away. Yeah. It's like the angry bee in your pocket, right? Exactly. You really need to. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good advice. Um, so just to kind of close off the interview here, what advice would you give, you know, someone starting out, you know, any things that they should do or things that they shouldn't do, you know, based on your experience? You know, I, I, th- there's been this uh, great rise of um, incubators. And I think um, it's they provide so much value. I think that starting a new company uh, today, you really want to be in an incubator uh, right away. It, it's just going to short circuit a, a lot of the um, trial and error that you would have to do normally. And people can provide you um, advice, but it's not the same as being in a program uh, where people will tell you, like, the right one tactical thing to do, and maybe they'll tell you why. They're, they often can't give you the whole picture. Sure. Um, so being in the incubator, you give away a little bit, but it's your first dollars uh, into the company. It's completely worth it in, with what I've seen. Well, it's, it's amazing what companies look like after coming out of it. This is my opinion anyway, and it sounds like you're in the same boat where I'd rather have a piece of something than 100% of nothing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I wish there was a lot more of that going on uh, before. I'm, I'm glad that it is now, and I'd love to support you know the work that they do. But that that's my that's my advice to almost everybody. No, that one of these. that's great advice, and I haven't I don't think very many people mention that. You know, it's starting to become mm. more and more popular. But that's definitely some really good advice for people starting out, and even if they're thinking of doing their own thing. Well, because I, I, I I'll hear questions from uh, an entrepreneur and say and. You say, oh, just just do this, but it, there's a lot of background knowledge behind why you just do whatever that is. Right. And then they then they'll ask another question, and you just keep thinking, like, you know what? We need to take about ten steps back, and you just need a crash course in whatever. I can't provide it for you. Right. Uh, but the incubator absolutely would, and you come out, you know, not only with that knowledge, but uh, they have you know, connections and investments. And if you're doing, if what you've put together is 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 great, um, 
they'll get they'll, they the, the incubator invested money in you. They're going to help you find the next investor. Sure. So a lot of it, what I see with entrepreneurs is not knowing what to do and being paralyzed by. It. Right. Um, this this takes away all of that stuff because they tell you that's what you do. And of course, entrepreneurship can be taught just like anything. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you if you feel like you've got that that spark, an incubator is a, a great idea. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's a great, uh, you know, ending to the show. Really, really appreciate you being on the show. Again, I'll post the causecast.com and at causecast on Twitter and your Ryan underscore Scott on Twitter. Definitely follow you. And I'll post the other links that you mentioned the show. But again, Ryan, like, thank you very much for being on the show. This was great. This was awesome. And, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, keeping in touch. And, you know, who knows, maybe we can chat again in the future about something else you're working on wonderful i would love that thanks kevin i really appreciate it thanks for listening if you're going to be in fort lauderdale florida february 16th and 17th at the startup expo and want to meet up and record a show reach out to me at buildingthefutureshow.com or on twitter at building show the music for the show is provided by electric mantra check them out at electricmantra.com until next week